Today is Monday, June 19th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Extreme weather hits the U.S. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a rating, share it with a friend. You can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. With Trey's off this week and joining me to get through the news of the cray, Billy Hallowell. Billy, happy Monday. How's it going? It's going well. Happy, happy Monday. I'm, I'm pumped and ready as usual. Yeah, good. I've kind of, apparently I've lost my voice a little bit. I didn't, I did not know this was, didn't have this on my bingo card for this week, but uh, we're going to, we're going to power through it. We're going to power through it, but there's a lot of news, news to get to. And so um, a couple really troubling stories from Nigeria today, Billy. Yeah, you know, that situation there, we're going to continue to sound the alarm on it because I think the media generally tends to overlook it and not talk about it, but but a lot of persecution facing Christians there. Yeah, absolutely. Need to be praying, need to be aware, so we'll get to that. And the Daily Signal uh, has an investigative reporter. He looked into a California bill that made it punishable by law for parents not to affirm their child's transition uh, so well from one gender to the other. So Madison Seals will have the details on that. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. And U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has started a second and final day of meetings with senior Chinese officials, although both sides do not appear to be changing positions at all. Blinken was meeting this morning with a top diplomat and still hoping for a meeting with President Xi. Neither Blinken nor these Chinese officials made any comment to reporters as they greeted each other and had their discussion. A prolonged heat wave from Texas to Louisiana has led to some brutal weather and caused at least the deaths of five people and left hundreds of thousands without power, including an Places like Oklahoma, where 220,000 people don't have power, 95,000 in Texas, and 88,000 in Louisiana, and about 37,000 in Mississippi, and 34,000 in Arkansas. As you can see, a lot of outages throughout the region. And 46 Christians have been killed by terrorists amid two days of violent attacks in Nigeria. Well, those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at cbnnews.com. And Billy, I know you're going to be getting into Nigeria here in a minute, but it's just insane that this keeps going on as you know, we've seen these headlines. I don't think we've seen any comment from the administration on the persecution that's happening there, but this is incredibly concerning that it just seems to be out of control and unable to be stopped. Well, yeah. And, and in these circumstances, usually, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what can we do? Well, you can pray, but also you need government pressure from outside. We've talked about this on the show in all of these countries. What you need is countries like America to press in in every single way possible on the government of Nigeria, the government of any country where this kind of persecution is going on, because there is some power, right? If that country wants to be part of the international community and wants to be part of the global community, then, you know, the government is accountable to some degree to the rest of the world. And I think, you know, we need to see more of that going on. If it's not vocally happening, it needs to go on behind the scenes. And if that's not happening, 
that is deeply troubling. And then outside of that, the media need to cover these stories. That's one reason why we do cover them, because it's embarrassing to a country to have the rest of the world talking about how people are being murdered and slaughtered simply yeah. for going to church. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, uh, I want to, I want to just transition right now on that topic into your story. I think it makes sense to head into the focus story. Now, um, a Catholic priest in Nigeria was fatally shot back in June, uh, early June, that is, and it sent shockwaves through the Christian community. So let's dive into what happened there. Yeah, you know, we're still waiting on on more details. Here's what we do know. The Reverend Charles Igneshi, he was the vice principal of St. Michael College out there in Nigeria. He was slaughtered while driving through um, on a ministry assignment in Nigeria. He was shot repeatedly in the back and killed. And it's just, it's a heartbreaking story for a variety of reasons, but it was actually announced uh, by one of the dioceses there, one of the priests in charge, um, put out a statement saying, with great shock, we received the news this morning that he was shot on his way back to his place of assignment. Again, this was June 7th, as you mentioned, they found his body afterward. And then the statement went on to say he was killed by gunmen as they riddled his body with bullets after they shot him in the back. Mm. Um, and the statement said that the Catholic church there was praying for the perp- that the perpetrators of this evil would be brought to face the wrath of justice. Uh, police are currently investigating the murder, apparently, and they don't know who these gunmen are. Uh, but here's what we do know. We do know that this is a repeated pattern in Nigeria, right? So it, it's possible that there's some other piece of the puzzle we haven't seen yet, but he is just the latest priest to lose his life in that country. And what do we know about this priest? Are there any, you know, just details that we have beyond just that he's a priest? Yeah, the one detail that we have that has been getting some attention and I think, you know, it's it's especially heartbreaking is that he was apparently installed to his position on August 13th, 2022. So he has not even been a priest for a year. Um, and you think about people going into ministry in a place like Nigeria, right? This is not going into ministry or going into the Catholic church or going into an evangelical church to serve in America. You're in a place where you know your life could be in danger, especially in the north of the country. And this is a guy who, for whatever reason, felt he needed to go and do that. And he did it less than a year ago. And so he lost his life, you know, within a year of taking that role on. And And I think that that is just, it's just heartbreaking. It is. And um, obviously this is going on in the context of what we just talked about at the end of the last segment with all of these Christians uh, being killed by terrorists, 46 of them in just a couple days span. So can you talk a little bit, Billy, about what's happening to Christians more broadly there in Nigeria? Yeah, you know, we had David Curry, who's the CEO of Global Christian Relief. We also had Joel Veldkamp, um, who's the head of communications for Christian Solidarity International. Both of them have come on repeatedly to talk about these issues. And we have them on, again, a lot because this is an important issue. It really wasn't until early 2022 that the world started to talk about what was happening in Nigeria. You'll remember at the time on the show, we talked about a stoning 
There was a college yeah. student, a female college student who was stoned to death. And that really shot this issue into um, the headlines. But what you're seeing is that Nigeria is ranked in the top 10 on Open Doors USA's World Watch List. That's the annual ranking of the countries where Christian persecution is the most severe in the world. That means it's, it's one of the nations where it is the hardest to live as a Christian. And they suffer, Christians, they are all sorts of ingrained enforced Islamization. Just to give you a little bit from that Open Doors report, this is mostly in the northern states where these issues have unfolded because that's where you have Sharia law. Um, And that started around 1999 where that was enforced and all sorts of violent and nonviolent means of restricting Christians. I can give you a couple of examples in recent years that we've talked about. um, A number of other priests have been abducted or have been killed or have talked about what they've seen um, on the ground. Uh, There was one priest who talked about seeing a mother and a father who lost one of their children They saw their homes burned to the ground. There was a woman cleaning a church uh, last year in August of 2022, and she was simply sweeping and cleaning. And somebody came in, the the Fulani herdsmen, which is an extremist group, came in and um, purportedly killed her and shot her there. And so again and again and again, we see this issue um, unfolding there. And and it it is not getting better. It's, It's getting far worse. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you talked about, you touched on it last segment, Billy, about how we should be praying for um, the people there and the Christians there. But I think we should look at maybe how specifically we should be praying, like things like having God miraculously intervene in the hearts of these terrorists um, and to have to start to change their um, just their outlook and, and their desire to do harm and to take that away. Uh, maybe for leaders there for boldness, because as you talked about in becoming a priest, it could be a death sentence for you. Uh, doing something like that, you know, be turning to the faith in that area. So what are some of the things we could be praying for? Yeah, the the other thing, and this is foreign to us mostly in this country, but the families of these individuals, yeah. you know, they, they will often, you know, we're talking government pressure or extremist group pressure, but, but let's say you convert from Islam to Christianity, your family might disown you, right? So praying for changed hearts there, but also for the people who make this decision that they would be persistent in in Christ, right? You make a choice to follow Jesus and you lose everything. You know, praying for people just to be sustained in God as they've made that choice to be believers there. Um, you know, there's there's just so many levels to this. The resources, you know, you think about when you're when you're treated as a second class citizen, everything that you lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, across the board, from education down the line, that that woman who was stoned, that college student, I mean, she had apparently only, you know, written in a WhatsApp chat, you know, that she loved Jesus, essentially. I mean, this is the world that these people are yeah. living in. And so they, they need prayer at every corner. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's incumbent upon us as Christians to do that and to be there for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going through such, such extreme circumstances such as this. So I uh, appreciate you bringing that story billy so it could be on our radar for us to pray for we're going to move over to the main thing now and talk about this crazy amendment that would basically make it a law and punishable for parents not to affirm their child's sexual transitions happening in california well daily signals tony kinnett has more on that with madison seals on today's main thing 
last year, the state of California passed legislation to establish itself as a so-called sanctuary for minors' transgender surgeries and treatments. And a recently amended bill is taking that a step further, adding the affirmation of a child's sexual transition to the state's standard for parental responsibility and child welfare. Today, I'm talking to Daily Signal investigative columnist Tony Kennett, who says this bill would make any California parent who doesn't affirm transgenderism for their child guilty of abuse under state law. Tony, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This bill called AB 957 passed California's state assembly on May 3rd, but a co-sponsor almost immediately amended it. What's the key difference between the original bill and the amended one? Well, AB 957 originally was introduced by Representative Wilson, who basically just wanted to order judges to take into consideration uh, if a parent was being uh, gender affirming, whatever that means, uh, when they were deciding custody. However, Senator Scott Weiner, who was the uh, state senator responsible for making California a sanctuary state for minor transgender surgeries, he amended the bill uh, after hours uh, on June 5th and kind of went back in and instead of just kind of giving the judges a little bit of a push towards recognizing gender affirmation in court cases, he completely rewrote the California Family Code to now include gender affirmation as one of the basic needs of a child, along with health, safety, and welfare. Which means that if you are a parent, and not just a parent, if you are a hospital, a school, or a church, and you do not provide a child with basic needs, you're guilty of child abuse. So if you no longer choose to uh, affirm a child's gender, again, there's no definition of whatever that means in the bill or any other bill in California, you could be liable for child abuse charges, which is either a very high class misdemeanor or a felony in the state of California. So what would refusing to affirm a child's decision to transition amount to under this new law? Well, it depends on the judge. So we've seen over 13 different court cases in the last decade, specifically out of Orange County, which is Los Angeles, uh, that Judges have used sections of the family code to implicate individuals in the California penal code, which could mean that a parent would be brought up on felony charges if a judge thought that was necessary uh, for not affirming a child's gender, not providing them gender affirming uh, hormonal treatments or perhaps a, a sexually altering surgery. Uh, in other cases, the parent could just lose custody of their child. The child's custody could be transferred over to the state. Uh, there are many situations in which California has elected to put a child into the foster care system instead of putting them into, say, a single father home. Uh, we could see that here. Basically, depending on the judge, this could either mean you lose your child or you could be charged with a misdemeanor or felony. It depends entirely on what judge is over the trial, uh, what organization is reporting the parent. And there's an entire section in the bill about reporting parents that's very weird. And realistically, just how the general social climate of California goes. It's incredibly vague and very troubling. Yeah, so we're talking about a very serious penalty, but there's some questions about how this would even be enforced. This issue itself of transgenderism is fluid, and it seems like so are the implications of this bill. Like, how would the California courts determine whether a parent was affirming? And what are they affirming exactly? Just a social transition or sex change surgeries? So interestingly, this is actually a question that several Democrat members of the uh, California Senate Judiciary Committee had. 
And uh, I think three of them, uh, of the 11 members, expressed that the language was incredibly vague, that there was no definition that would be suitable, that a lot of the concerns of uh, the over, I think, 120 parents who ended up coming to testify had, they said this bill is vague, it's, it's poorly written, it's a really bad amendment. And though they still ended up voting for it, I thought it was really interesting that even members who supported the bill thought that it was very poorly written, there's no standard for it. And of course, we know the reason there's no standard for it is because this is a very quickly moving target. It was just four years ago that Democrats were saying in the open that there was no such thing as transgender children and they weren't coming for your children. Now that's the mainstream line. Well, definitions have to be written and rewritten because this is such a quickly moving target. And they themselves don't even know necessarily what it means. They just know that affirmation equals good. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. Something else that you point out in your article is that AB 957 could also expand which organizations provide evidence of gender non-affirmation to California's courts. What are some examples of organizations that could do this and what are the possible implications of that? So this is where it gets really interesting. By Wieners amending the entire California Family Code, you also change who can report instances of child abuse. So currently, any organization that provides uh, or that says they provide assistance to victims of abuse can report that a child is not receiving health, safety, or welfare. In this particular case, once you add gender affirmation, any organization that says it provides some kind of abuse restoration or services to an individual who's gone through abuse, they can report and not be challenged. It has to go straight to a judge and the judge actually has to hear the case uh, that there is non-gender affirmation going on. So let me provide you an example. A child could go to school. They could talk to their local gay straight alliance club or their local LGBTQ organization or representative from Planned Parenthood, which has access to California K through 12 schools. And they could simply say, my parents don't agree with my decision to be transgender. That organization, because all of those organizations that I listed uh, and types of organizations claim on their websites to serve victims of abuse, they can file a report with the California legal system, say that child is being abused in their home because they're not being affirmed, and then that child could pretty much be taken from their parents' home by CPS just because that organization made a phone call. It is incredibly troubling. And groups like the one that you just mentioned, LGBTQ affirming groups, are spreading wildly fast across schools all over the U.S. So that's, yeah, totally not out of bounds for that to happen. Many conservatives have said that LGBTQ ideology is a slippery slope. And this bill proposes an extreme that skeptics said could come decades down the line, but we're here. Not only is the state endorsing sex change surgeries for minors, but California's lawmakers are actually pushing to penalize anyone who pushes back against it, including parents, as you've pointed out. Where does this California bill stand right now? Well, right now, there's a little bit of misinformation that's going on, and I don't think that it's malicious, but there are just individuals that don't necessarily know the status of the bill, and that's understandable. So the Senate itself, the California Senate, needs to vote on the bill, and then because it was amended so radically, it actually has to go back to the General Assembly for another vote. So there are two more legislative votes that are going to occur. It might undergo yet another amendment, although that's unlikely. Uh, Representative Wilson hasn't indicated that she would do such. After it likely does pass both Democrat-controlled houses, it will go to Gavin Newsom's desk. And uh, an aide in his office that I cannot disclose on air has indicated that he would sign the bill as is right now. 
Well, Tony, thank you for your reporting on this and for bringing such important information to light. Absolutely. Thanks for all you guys do at CBN. All right, Madison, thanks so much for that. Appreciate it. That's going to leave us with time for one last thing here. We're going to take a look at Revelations 21.4, well-known verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's our hope we have as Christians, even in the midst of suffering like we're seeing in Nigeria. And anything you may be going through, that is a verse we can cling to and as hope, have hope as Christians um, for a better place to be in when all this pain and suffering has, you know, ceased here. Yeah. No, and, and I think, you know, so much of the Christian journey is hope, right? Yeah. And, you know, we live in a world where there's such a lack of it. And so I, I love scriptures that remind us of that. Absolutely. In Revelation 21, certainly, certainly one of those. All right. That is where we are going to leave it for today. As always, get on over to cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. You can also be praying for my voice to return. I don't know what's up with that, but <laughs> uh, it's always something to start the week. But uh, there there are worse things, so I appreciate the prayers on that. God bless. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We'll see you back here tomorrow.